0: Welcome to the Storycraft Cafe. Did you know that we have a social media site just for writers? You can find it at storycraft.cafe. You can meet other storycrafters that share the same hopes, dreams, struggles, and victories as you do. Join in the daily writing challenges, see when a new author interview is coming up, and join in the conversation and fun. Again, that's storycraft.cafe. Be sure to subscribe in your favorite podcast app and leave us a review if you don't mind. It helps others find us. Also, please subscribe to our YouTube channel. I'll drop a link in the show notes so you can find it easily. You can join me live as I conduct these author interviews and you too can join in the conversation live as it happens. The interview that you're hearing now was recorded live from our YouTube channel just this afternoon. El Casamano is a fantastic YA author. And recently she has been writing funny mysteries and we have such a great conversation. Hang on tight. We're gonna get over to our interview with Elle now. And we are live here in the Storycraft Cafe. I am your host, Hank Garner. Today, I'm super excited to have one of my favorite authors el Kazamano is joining us today we're talking about her uh her latest series the finley donovan series and if you love mysteries and i absolutely love mysteries uh but also you know with a touch of humor a little this great ball of just wondrous reading. Um, You're going to love the Finley Donovan series. And one of my favorite things about the Finley Donovan series is um, Finley is a writer and there's something um, really fun when we get a little inside baseball books about writers are one of my absolute favorite things in the world. And I think that's how I discovered this series um, actually in the beginning, but we'll, we're going to get into all of it. Welcome to the show. L.
1: Thank you, Hank. It's so great to be here.
0: It's so great to have you. Um, I I always like to start uh, our conversations with a a fun question to to get things rolling. And uh, one question I love to ask people is, what is your first memory of wanting to be a writer or storyteller?
1: Oh, wow. I mean, that was way, way back in elementary school, I think I'd have to say. I used to, um, I'm dating myself here, but it was, uh, long before the days of computers and we entertained ourselves in, you know, other ways. And I remember stapling paper, you know, together to make little books and, and you know, breaking out the colored pencils and drawing illustrations and making up stories and, um, and burning through just oodles and oodles of my parents' printer paper that they would <laughs> be using for work, um, you know? And, and so I, I would have to say that was probably, you know, maybe first, second grade and um, just, you know, it was um, it was something I enjoyed doing just for fun. And I think I sort of lost my way after elementary school and, and certainly after high school. And it was many, many years before I would realize that that was something I wanted to do again.
0: That, that is so interesting that you say it like that because, uh, you know, we've done 1,500 uh, author interviews over the last decade or so, and the vast, vast majority of people, um, you know, had this early desire, and then the the path to becoming an author is sort of a circuitous one, you know, that you, you go through life and you – pick up this experience and that experience and you meet all of these people. And, and in my mind, that something happens in your brain along the way and with all these experiences that you collect. And one day you take all of them and stories start coming out. Um, what was your path back um, to realizing that you could be an author? What What brought you back around? <laughs>
1: Honestly, I would have to say it was my mother. Um, You know, I think moms have this wild sort of infinite, awesome mom wisdom. They see things in their children that we don't always see ourselves. And, um, you know, it was my mother who sensed I was, you know, creeping up on 40 and um, I was struggling i was you know i had was very good in my real estate career i had a thriving career and i was miserable and uh, feeling like i i wasn't you know being the best mom i could be that i wasn't being the best career person that i could be that i wasn't being my best self and she i i guess sensed this midlife crisis coming and she was the one who suggested i take a sabbatical from work and write a book and at the time it seemed like such a selfish, irresponsible, wild thing to do. And I told her she, um, you know, I told her as much, I told her there was no way that I could do this. I was at the time I was the breadwinner for my family. Um, I felt like, you know, upending my career, even just for the the two months that she was offering to help me with the kids and and make this possible. I just it, I felt guilty, you know, and and so often we as moms feel that heavy guilt, you know, to, to always put our before our own. And that's sort of where I was at that time. And so I told her there was no way there was no way I could do this. And she said, just think about it. And I did. I went home and I thought about it and then I couldn't stop thinking about it. And two weeks later, I called her and I said, we're going to do it. So, um, you know, that was back in 2010. And and I never looked back.
0: So I, I have to ask you, when when your mom made that offer, did you have a story idea in mind or was it just a complete blank slate? Like, did you then start brainstorming? Or was there a lingering idea that had been back there that you were just, you know, maybe unwittingly, but waiting for an opportunity?
1: I would say at the time it seemed like a blank slate. I thought I was convinced it was a blank slate because I hadn't been talking or articulating any particular story that was sort of, you know, wiggling around in there. But in hindsight, you know i think there are always kernels and seeds of ideas i think storytellers tend to find them everywhere like yes. you know driving to work you know listening to a song on the radio whatever it is i think in the back of my mind there was always potential percolating there i just didn't and i didn't allow myself to kind of capture those seeds and do any organized thinking or structured thinking with them and then as soon as she planted that idea in my head it was like all of a sudden this you know, groundswell of little kernels started coming to me. And that's when I think I just realized I couldn't put this off. Like, this is the idea had taken root. This was something I needed to do. And, um, and then after that, the more I allowed myself to to have those kinds of brainstorms, you know, on my 45 minute commute to work, or, you know, Mm -hmm. in, you know, in during lunch breaks, or, you know, the evening after I put the kids to bed, whatever time I could steal for myself. I found myself sort of piecing together little bits and pieces of stories and, and it made me happy. You know, it made me happy. So I felt like that was sort of someone. I almost needed someone else close to me that I trusted to give me permission to do that mm-hmm. for myself.
0: And I, that's one reason that I hate to ask people, where where do your ideas come from? It, it's such a trite question because storytelling they're literally flying around all around you all day every day you you just you know a a writer can grab hold of any of those and and it takes root and becomes something you you like you said you almost most people are just looking for permission you know air quotes that just someone to say grab it and run with it that's i love that story um you um what was that first story that you wrote, and and um, when when you um, you know were able to take the time and to get working at it, and was that the first book that you published?
1: Yeah, I almost feel guilty of saying so, but it was, mm-hmm. um, and and it certainly wasn't published in its first. Iteration. I mean, it was it was a story that I sort of needled with and worked out over and over again for a really long time. But um, it was the first story I drafted that summer. I took a two month sabbatical from work, and my mom helped with the kids. And every day, she would send me to this little tiny office and tell me to go write a book and at the end of every day she would wait at the bottom of the stairs for my chapter and she would read it and she'd say this is great go do it again and by the end of the summer I had drafted Nearly Gone which was a YA, um, a YA thriller and um, at the end you know I, when I typed at the end I had a messy horrible awful terrible first draft um, it but was, you had a first draft. I had a first draft and I went home and because you know, we had been staying, my kids and I had been staying with my parents so I could do this. My husband was so supportive and I got home. He said, it's great. How do you feel? I said, I feel awesome. And he said, wonderful. When are you going back to work? And I said, well, we should probably talk about that. <laughs> and, um, and I said, I'm really enjoying this and I think I would like to do something with this manuscript. And he said, well are you any good at this? And I said, I have no idea. And he said, well, how do we find out? So I ended up taking Nearly Gone to, um, which had a different title at the time, but I took it to a, a, a writing workshop, a publishing workshop, and um, got some great feedback from some editors and agents who were um, working there and kind of mentoring there. And the feedback was good enough that I felt confident trying to, to query it. And I was fortunate enough to get a bite on my first round of queries from a a dream agent. And she was very honest with me. She said, the manuscript is a mess. Um, Mm. She said, we can't submit it like it is, but I see potential in it. I I see something glimmering in there. We just need to find it. Are you willing to rewrite this book? And I said, yes, I will rewrite this book. And I did rewrite that book three times before she felt confident that I had figured out how to do this, how to how to structure a plot and how to you know create character arcs that would stand up and all of these things that we learned through trial and error so much of the time. And so we ended up um, more than a year later going on submission to publishers with it and that became my debut novel, which actually came out in 2014. Um, so yeah, it was, it was a four year process from concept to publication, but that was actually the very, the very first one.
0: Wow. Did you go back to work in that, uh, intervening time?
1: I did not go back to work and I eventually did let my real estate license lapse and I have no regrets. I feel like I found my home.
0: Wow. I love it. I love it. Um, you began writing YA. Um, was there any particular reason that you gravitated toward um, those types of stories? That that way of storytelling. What whatever it is that that makes a YA writer a YA writer.
1: Yeah, you know, at the time I was reading a lot of young adult and really enjoying it. And I think, in hindsight, what I love so much. I mean, really, what I think a lot of people don't realize is that there's not a lot of difference between writing about and for young adults and about, you know, writing about and for grownups. The difference is really the age of, you know, the lens of the protagonist, you know, their life experience. And so um, for me, what was really the big difference between them that really held a lot of appeal Was the fact that young adult literature isn't broken down so rigidly in genre category. There's a lot of flexibility for authors to play, to bend genre, to introduce lots of different kinds of storytelling into the same book. And that really appeals to me. I love genre benders. Finley Donovan is definitely a genre bender. So I think that spoke to me. And that very first story I started to conceptualize in my mind. Um, really would work best from the lens of a teenage protagonist, and so it's sort of the 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 age group sort of chose itself based on the story I wanted to tell at the time. But what I've always loved about young adult is the freedom it gives me as an artist and a creator to not have to necessarily play by genre rules and still create a story that um, that can be really marketable and. Um, I think that was one of the biggest challenges that I ran into when we were trying to sell Finley Donovan to a publisher. We got a lot of rejections for that book, Um, many, many many more than I think a lot of people um, believe when I tell them. Um, you know we we were a little worried there that it was never going to come to be and the biggest feedback we got is we love the story we love the voice we love the the premise but we don't know how to position this in the market what is it you know is it is it a comedy is it a mystery is it a thriller is it a romance it's like all and I say it's all of these things why does it have to be one thing why can't it be right. all of these wonderful things but you know the adult market you know historically speaking has been very highly specialized in category. And it posed some challenges. And I think um, I, I, when I started writing those books, I had this love of writing with the freedom of, of a YA author, and I didn't necessarily stop to think that that could be a challenge in the adult market. Um, so I was very, very grateful that we were able to get it off the ground. But I, you know, to get back to your question, I think that's what I really love about it is the freedom.
0: I've never heard uh, anyone really break it down like that before, but um, but that's one of my biggest frustrations. And I, I know for a lot of other writers that, um, you know, finding excuse me, <coughs> got a tickle on my throat, um, the way that the adult market is so segmented. And and I understand that in the bookstore, you need to know where to send people to find your book excuse me. Um, But that's one of the biggest frustrations for writers, figuring out where your story lives.
1: Yeah. And, you know, um, one of the things that I'm sort of loving about where we are in this particular time is I feel like in some way, a lot of that sort of firm categorization came from the time when we all found the books that we wanted to read using the Dewey Decimal System or using category shelves. And now I feel like, especially with social media and the way we connect with other readers and through booksellers and with librarians gives us so much more freedom to recommend and find books in different ways. And it I think it maybe breaks down some of that need for those barriers and sort of opens up pathways for you know, um, more flexible outreach, like where books are finding their readers in different ways. So do we really need those hard set categories as much as we did once when, you know, we had to walk into a massive library and know exactly where to go to find a book now online, you know, we can find that book, identify it. We know exactly where we're going. Um, and, and it doesn't necessarily Mm. have to be with that very, very specific tag
0: you uh, went on to write and publish a number of of YA books uh, before you got to the Finley Donovan series. Um, How many books did you publish? And when when Finley came along, were you wanting to write something more geared toward adults or did the idea come and then you realized, well, this is maybe more of an adult book?
1: Yeah, my first six published novels were for and about young adults. Um, I had the Nearly Mysteries with uh, Penguin. I had um, Holding Smoke and the Suffering Tree with Disney Hyperion. And most recently I had the Seasons of the Storm duology with Collins. And um, Finley sort of happened by accident. I did not really have a plan set in place to to pursue a career in adult mysteries. Um, <clears throat> I was actually in a very crowded Panera Bread brainstorming plots for you know my young adult thrillers with my critique partners, and we happened to be overheard by the woman at the table beside us, who very clearly was concerned, deeply concerned with the amount of blood and gore we were discussing. And at the time I was trying to figure out who in a manuscript needed to die. And I articulated that out loud in a public space, probably not taking into account how it was framed, And it became clear that she had made some horrible assumptions about the kinds of things we were plotting at the table beside hers. And she got up and left the restaurant. And later that night, yeah, later that night, um, my critique partners and I were laughing about it over grown up beverages. And someone posed the question wouldn't it have been hilarious if this woman had assumed you were contract killers? And it was like this light bulb went off in my head. And I just, I, told my critique partners, I said, I have this wild idea for a story, and I need one of you two to write it, because this is so outside my wheelhouse. And so I pitched this idea of a a struggling romantic suspense author who gets mistaken for a contract killer and happens to be a mom. And they said, Oh, no, this we're not writing this book, you're writing this book. I said I can't write this book. I've never written, never written anything like this. This is like you know, this is very different. And they said, no, you can and you will. And we got in our pajamas, and um, there was a lot of bourbon and wine and and junk food involved. And we were at our you know our retreat, our annual brainstorming retreat, and we brainstormed Finley's character arc and the the rough pitch for the story. And that night. You know, I kind of committed to to trying it as a passion project. Um, I didn't expect it to go anywhere. I was fairly convinced that it was going to be, um, you know, a, a great practice run. And that was probably all I'd get out of it because I wasn't convinced I could pull it off. And I got about 30% into the manuscript as I'm working on these other projects. I was under contract to write. And on a whim, I sent it to my agent. And I said, "I just need to know if we're onto something. It feels like I might. It feels like I might be onto something." And uh, she said, "Oh, she said, I think we might be onto something. Let's let's try putting it out there and see what happens." And that was the
0: beginning. And I can't tell if this is art imitating life or life imitating <laughs> art.
1: I love that. I love those aspects of the series. They're, they're, it's fun. You know, when I first started this, I was at a very frustrated point in my publishing career, and it was kind of cathartic. the The meta elements in the book felt very cathartic to write, and I poke a lot of fun at publishing. I poke some fun at at agenting and publishing and writing and 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 mom life and um and all of these things. and And I think that's one of the things that resonates with so many readers is there's. It's all very ridiculous, but the, at the heart, there's a lot of real in it, and um, and so I think that's what I keep as my touchstone. I just try to keep coming back to things that are that are real.
0: Well, it's so meta, and and like I said in the beginning, that there's something about writing about writers and writing about the writing and publishing industry that is. You know, it's it's kind of inside baseball, but I've never met anyone that wasn't interested in it. Um, You know, even people that are just casual readers, they still, you know, want to kind of look behind the curtain and see what's going on. And it's just one of these things that has obviously resonated very deeply with a lot of people. Um, When you first published the first Finley book. Were you surprised at the reception that it got and, and how many people, I mean, I know on your social media, you know, there it, it's kind of, it's taken on a life of its own. You know, Finley is, you know, shows no signs of, of letting up. Were you surprised that it got the kind of traction that it did?
1: Yes. Um,
0: you know, at the time, like I said, I was sort of in a struggling
1: place. Um, my, my YA career, I, I I got nominated for a lot of awards and I got a lot of accolades. We just never sold many books. Mm-hmm. And so I struggled and I, you know, I, um, I struggled to, to maintain a home in, in young adult publishing with my publishers. And I was fairly convinced that at some point I was going to have to go back and reactivate my real estate license and, you know, and hang up my hat. And, and that was crushing for me. And so we got a very, very, um I'll be honest. It was a very modest offer for Fin for the first Finley book, um, and it was. A, we had to do a lot of thinking at home about whether or not this was time I could commit if we could afford as a family right. to to do this, and um, and I just felt like I had to give this one last shot, and so I had very tempered expectations about how this book was going to fare, I had sort of set myself up and cushioned my heart, you know, um, for the possibility that this might not land, that, that you know, we might put it out there and it might not find its readers and, and I did the best I could and it would be okay. And we came out of the gate and it was sort of a quiet release. Um, and so, uh, you know, we, I was sort of, it was sort of performing the way sort of in my heart I had expected it to, um, quietly. And then all of a sudden it started to find some traction and then social media and Instagram and all of these places and booksellers and libraries and little book clubs. And it sort of was this grassroots word. It was so beautiful. It was this grassroots word of mouth, groundswell of love for this character. And then all of a sudden we were getting, um, you know, it was sort of taking on a life of its own on social media. And then we were getting calls from Hollywood and then we started selling foreign rights and then everything just started compounding. And then the sales just started building and the track, we got this enormous traction as, as we were sort of rolling toward the second book. Um, you know, we, we sold the TV option for, you know, a series. And then we, um, we ended up, selling into 25 translation territories and it was like but it didn't happen overnight it was it was like this really really beautiful slow build of interest as people were sharing their love for this character and we're still seeing it it's still growing it's growing every day it's growing in ways i had never let myself dream of or or um sometimes i still can't believe and as we're cruising toward book four here, you know, book four comes out on March 5th. Um, we just contracted for books five, six, and seven too. So, it, so there's wow. no sign of this slowing. <laughs> there's no sign of it slowing. It's been really exciting.
0: Well, uh, Finley to me seems to be the definition of a viral um, uh, word of mouth book. Because I remember when I found out about it, a friend of mine said, I just read this book. You have to read it. And she said uh, it it was three or four sentences. I think she said uh, a struggling writer discussing her book with her agent. Someone overhears them, thinks she's a contract killer, hires her. Everything goes wrong. You've got to read this book. And I was like sold where, you know, and I think I downloaded it on my Kindle um, that night and I was laying in bed and I was like, oh, my God, this is one. This is hilarious. Two, um, I know these people in this book uh, and, and three, it just you know, the story just kept on and kept on. Um, and when I got to the end of it, I was like, I have to read the next one, you know, and, and I knew that um, the second book was out, um, Finley Knocks him Dead and and i just couldn't get enough um when when you were writing the book did you see the series potential i know that you've written a couple of other series in your ya writing um but most of them have been duologies i think and and uh did you did you see the long-term series potential you know like you just said you've contracted books 5 6 and 7 now um you know what do you think about you know taking this character and growing her and, you know, expanding her world and all that good stuff.
1: Yeah. You know, I think um, my talk about sort of tempering my heart, you know, when, when we first started down this road with Finley, I didn't even know if we were going to have one book, much less a series. So I didn't let myself dream that far. Um, I was focused purely on what can we do with this one story And when Minotaur and St. Martin's came forward with an offer and we were sort of having these conversations, they said, you know, we could see this having serious potential. um, And they wanted to make an offer on the first two books. And at that point, I had not even considered the possibility. And so they said, do you think um, do you think you could make this a series? Because we're struggling to see, like, how 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 could this work as a series? Can you talk about that? And at the point, I I think it just took me so by surprise, because I hadn't really let myself dream that big. And so I spent a whole night, stayed up, pulled an all-nighter, a very Finley-style all-nighter that night, and sort of reimagined this from the point of view of a series and sort of rewrote the synopsis for the first book to make that work. And, um, you know, at the time... You know, I, I, like you said, I had duologies before. That wasn't for lack of wanting a series. It was because right. those first books just didn't sell. That was as far as we could go. And so, mm. um, I let myself dream through like the first two books. I was like, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, you know, be enthusiastic enough to believe that we can do this through two books. And then, you know, when we started getting all that traction, of suddenly like, oh wow, now we really have to think of this in in broader strokes, we need to think of this as a bigger story and how, how can we do that? But, you know, there's a very um, cautious part of me that only allows myself to dream out as far as my contract. Yeah. And because we never know what's, you know, the biggest question I get from readers is how many Finley books are there going to be? And my answer is always, that's up to you. Yeah, as, as many a, as
0: you will buy.
1: As many as you will buy. And most people don't realize that, but it's really up to the readers. It's, it's, yeah. it's up to the market. Um, I would love to write them indefinitely and forever. Um, but, you know, it's going to be up to the readers and their commitment, their loyalty to the series, how far we can go. So I try to educate as many readers about that as possible, that most series writers are at the mercy of the market. And, um, and so, yeah, I dream about a lot of Finley books. I would love to write a lot of Finley books. And for now, I'm just so grateful we get to do the first seven.
0: Let's talk a a minute, um, about, um, genres. Uh, and we talked a a bit about this a few minutes ago, but you, you said that the thing that you loved about YA was that there are uh, a lot less genre limitations. Um, but a, when you start talking adult, uh, books, it gets really dicey, you know, with with what you're going to call this book. Really, more than more than what the book is, how are you going to market this book? That's uh, and of course, you have to market truthfully. So it, you know, the two need to line up. But you know what I'm saying. Um, yeah. And as far as content wise, there's really nothing in the Finley books that wouldn't be appropriate for a YA audience, other than the 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 protagonist in the book is is an adult obviously um but where wh- how did you decide wh- what to call this book because it's a it's a thriller ish it's it's a mystery um there is a bit of romance there is um a lot of women's fiction uh you know and just general fiction that's it, it's it's the life of an american family you know there's it, it, it's it has a wide appeal and it has very narrow specific appeals. Uh, how did you start thinking about this and and what was the process to think through how to position this book and how to get the word out about it?
1: yeah i I think yeah you ask, how did I start thinking about this? I think the trick was I didn't, I just started writing and I wrote the story the way I felt the story needed to be told and at the end, what I ended up with was this hodgepodge <laughs> of of all these awesome things that made it so fun for me and so challenging for my agent. Um, and so I, there wasn't a lot of thinking involved in the early stage I think because I was just sort of writing, I was writing this as, as an experiment You know, I wasn't really thinking in my heart. I really honestly didn't think this was ever going to sell. So um, I was writing to see if I could do it and to see if I could pull it off. And so I was I wasn't thinking. And then as we got deeper into the process and we really started to having to think, you know, what I the decision that I came to is that this is at its heart, a mystery because at my heart, I'm a mystery novelist. That's if you were to take all my books, the sci-fi and the historical and the, the, the contemporary thrillers, they're all, and the horrors, they're all at their heart mysteries. They're all centered around a mystery. And so I really see this as a mystery. but it's also, like you said, it's so many other things. And I think that's one of the things that makes it so special. So when we, when we went to submit it to publishers, we did call it a mystery. Um, But we also were careful to point out that it was a lot of other cool things too. And then we decided that, you know, it was really going to be up to the publisher that bought it to figure out how best to position it. And we were very grateful. I mean, Minotaur, you can't, you can't find a better team to find a way to position a mystery than the team at Minotaur and St. Martin's press. They are fantastic. And they took this book that is so different from anything that they've published before and they knocked it out of the park. You know, they, they caught the, the whimsical, um, you know, and fun elements with this fun, fantastic packaging and the cover and the title. Um, they, they've got the, you know, obviously the mystery market and the thriller market nailed down. And um, and together it's sort of been a really fun experiment. We've just been playing with trying to find it in a home in lots of different ways. But, um, you know, I think I've sort of always pictured this as a mystery with, Comic and romantic and thrilling elements to and women's elements to it. Um, but, you know, anyone, you, the, I think the beauty of that is that if you ask anyone, it's something different. It's something yeah. different to everyone. And I love that you mentioned that it's really appropriate for all ages. I have generations of readers yeah. you know teenagers reading with their moms who are reading with their moms and they're doing it together and it's so fun i have lots of men reading these books which is fantastic um i think my my oldest fan letter came from a 93 year old man and my youngest fan letter came from a 13 year old girl and that wow. right there to me oh, says it yeah. all like it's it 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 appeals to everyone, and so I think we just trusted that at some point the book would find an audience, and that audience would spread the word, and they did.
0: Yes, yes, they did. Um, when the 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 second book, the the follow up to the initial success, um, that book, I'm, I'm it's been a while since I read it, so I'm remembering remembering back, but it pretty much picks up right where the first book left off, didn't it? And it, it's it's almost okay. a, a direct every, continuation.
1: Every book is a direct continuation. Okay. So I always recommend starting with the first one so that you don't spoil the fun for yourself as you go, because there are obviously going to be spoilers for the 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 earlier. We try not to spoil the mystery per se, the who done it yeah. as much as possible, but there are gonna be certain spoilers all along the way because the books do piggyback off of each other. Almost in, I Hesitate to say it, but almost in soap opera fashion, they're very soapy in that sense. Yeah, um, that, there's you know, nothing
0: wrong with that answer.
1: I love it, and yeah. I think it's so much fun. And but the the books do piggyback off of each other. The relationships continue to build. Um, you know, we draw upon a lot of the story building from the earlier books, although each book has its own "Who Done It" to be solved, which I think is is part of the fun too.
0: That, um, you know, if you think of, um, popular mystery series, um, you know, uh, Agatha Christie immediately comes to mind and you've got all the Poirot, uh, mysteries and they all contain, uh, at least him and, and a lot of times, uh, you know, a, a loose cast of characters that go with it, but you don't, you don't have to read them in any certain order, um, but I, I love the fact that this is one big continuing story. Um, have you started working on kind of your master plan for books four five and or five, six and seven and kind of where this is? Do, do you have a, a big chart on your wall, you know, like a serial killer with, <laughs> with <Ben laughs> a Brian murder? And, murder. Yeah, right. <laughs> I love or, it. You know, is it is it just organically growing?
1: Um, you know, because at the beginning we didn't know how many books there were going to be, um, it was easy to kind of piggyback that those plots in the earlier books and, and expect readers to kind of jump in and sort of read them mostly in order. Um, and what we're realizing now is that as the fandom is growing exponentially and globally in ways that we hadn't really anticipated we're sort of rethinking a little bit of that and trying to find ways to make it easier as we go through the series for readers to jump in mid-series and so uh, without spoiling anything i will say that the end of book four we do close up a few arcs um that we have drawn over the first four books. Yeah. Um, and the goal, I think, moving forward, and this is a little bit insider information here, but I love sharing it. The goal moving forward is that we're going to try, I think, to make some of those later books feel more standalone. So that if a reader does come in, you know, at book six, and or is just discovering the series as they're passing through a li- uh, an airport, you know, or a, yeah. a library that they can then go back and, and, and still, you know, still keep up and then go back and maybe start the beginning of the series. But um, we're, we're starting to think of the series in a little bit of a different frame now as we're seeing the long term potential.
0: Yeah. Well, I, I love both of those answers. I, I love um, the, the fact that you could come in and pick up anywhere and and enjoy the read. Um, but, you know, as a as a reader that loves to get into series, I I as a reader, I. Um, love to think that I'm more on the inside because I've read from the beginning. You know, like like I know all of the real dirt, you know, that's going on. It, it's kind of like, um, you know, um, Craig Johnson's Walt Longmire series. You, you could read any of those out of order. But if you've read from the beginning, you know a little more than than the casual reader does. And there's there's something cool about that.
1: Yeah, I think we've done a really fun job these first few books of sort of really delving into to Finley's character and some of the side characters in the story, you know, her sister and and her side, you know, her partner in crime, her sidekick Vero and and her romantic interest and all of these things. So we've really kind of laid the groundwork um, for for what's to come. And and I love that readers who came in at the beginning have that inside feeling, you know, moving yeah. forward
0: the um in the beginning where you were just writing everything you were passionate about and then you know would figure it out later if if it ever got published um in writing the series going forward are you more conscious of playing up the mystery aspect or making sure that you cover the the romance aspect like did Do the when you're moving forward, do the things that you set in place in the first one, where you were just playing and just experimenting with things, does that become uh, more of a point of tension for you that, uh, you know, now now I've, I've established this thing, now I've got to make sure that I continue the way I that that I've established already
1: that is such a good question it's very timely too, going into book four because the central <laughs> theme of book four is imposter syndrome where you know mm-hmm. uh, that's sort of when you talk about meta there there are stages of writing a series where some of this really reflects what we have going on behind the scenes and there are you know when you're writing a book that no one is reading and no one is buying there's not a lot of pressure and you can you know you can have a lot of fun and play and just realize well you know hey like my mom and three of her friends read my book so we're good but then you when it suddenly becomes very clear and you've got 25 publishers around the world and you know you've got tv people looking to develop for script and you've got um, readers who are coming at you with all of their ideas and their feedback and the things that they want you to incorporate in the story and the things that they loved and the things that they didn't you know all of these things there's there are a lot of voices coming at you suddenly and the so there are a lot of pressures with that, especially with series, the, the desire not to let anyone down, the desire to maintain the bar, to keep raising the bar, um, which is tough. I mean, that's, that's hard to do. And I think the, the, I had to come to a place with myself, especially with this last book, as I was sort of facing all of these things and say to myself, the, the touchstone, the thing I have to keep coming back to is what I loved while I was writing that first book was that it was fun. It was yeah. fun. And if I'm having fun when I'm writing the books, the readers are going to have fun when they're reading them, regardless of where I take the mystery or the romance or the, you know, the adventures and the shenanigans and the friendship and all these things. I could take it wherever my heart leads, as long as I'm having fun. And so that's where I keep trying. That's what I keep trying to come back to is to turn off the voices. It's, you know, turn off the, the reviews, turn off, the the feedback turn off turn off all of it as often as I can. Can't can't tune it all out, you know, and there's a value in a lot of it. And I try to very selectively allow myself to sort of take some of that in. But at the same time, what I'm really trying very hard to remind myself is that Finley, at its heart is about fun. It's about joy. And as long as I don't lose my joy while I'm writing it, the readers will have their joy when they're reading it. And so that's I think that's the best thing I can do for everybody.
0: Well, right now um, you can pick up Finley Donovan is Killing It. That was the first book in the series. Then followed up with Finley Donovan Knocks i Dead and the third and. And newest release is Finley Donovan jumps the gun. The fourth book, Finley Donovan rolls the dice, will be out next spring. And then who knows uh, what L is going to bring us after that? Um, L, if people are just discovering you and just getting into this amazing series, um, where's the best place for them to find you online? Follow along and you know stay abreast of all you know upcoming news and all that good stuff.
1: Great question. Um, I have a website, lcosmono.com. There's a fantastic frequently asked questions page and we've got oodles of information there. We have book club discussion guides, playlists, recipes. We've got um, links to where you can buy signed copies of books. All of that is there. Um, I have a lot of social media pages. Um, the, I think personally, I think the most fun is Instagram. If you can find me on Instagram, my handle is ElCosimano everywhere. Um, but Instagram, we have a lot of fun with Finley Donovan on Instagram. We have a massive Finley fandom there. We recreate covers, we share videos and reels and recipes, and um, we have a lot of bookish shenanigans there. Um, So I'd say that's a really fun place to start. You can also find me on Facebook under El Cosmano. Um, I'm still on Twitter, though not very often, and I've just opened a Threads um, account, so you can find me now on Threads. I'm sort of finding my way there. Um, But yeah, and pretty much anywhere on social media, you can find uh, both me and Finley and, um, and stay in touch and reach out. I, I hear from a lot of readers and I really enjoy that there's a contact page on my website. After you've cruised it and answered all of your burning questions, feel free to reach out.
0: Excellent. And uh, we'll link up all that in the show notes of this episode to make it easy for folks to find you, as well as uh, we'll include Amazon links where where you can grab the Finley Donovan books or any of your books uh, and uh, also visit your local bookstore and support local books. Um, Elda, it's been so much fun chatting. Uh, please come back again and let, let's do this uh, again.
1: I would love to. Thank you. It was great seeing everyone.
0: That's our episode for today. There's so much more to come as we talk with authors about the craft of writing, but also the business of publishing. Be sure to subscribe to the StoryCraft Cafe podcast in your favorite podcast app to never miss an episode. The StoryCraft Cafe is made possible by Dabble. Writing a book is challenging. Your writing tool shouldn't be. Dabble is an easy to use online writing tool packed with helpful features that allow beginning novelists and published authors to create amazing stories. Visit us at DabbleWriter.com and start your free trial. Thanks for listening.